I'll start recording when you've finished eating your biscuit. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Floorhammer podcast, the light take on the grim dark. I'm David Pettit and I'm joined by the man who thought a Tempestus Scion was the latest household product from Dyson. <laughs> it's Rich O'Keefe. Hey Rich. Hey Dave. That's good. Thank you. As always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Floorhammer podcast, our website floorhammerpodcast.com and our Instagram at floorhammer underscore podcast. So how are you, Rich? I'm good. I'm good. It occurred to me to probably mention that we are recording this a week late for those who are keeping track because I went on holiday and forgot to plan this in advance with Dave. <laughs> great, great timing. Great it was. timing. It was. That was a good break though. Family break. Got a bit of hobby done as well when I was uh, when I was away. Took some painting things with me. I did see. Yeah. yeah. Took your own travel hobby advice very well. I did, and uh, had a few gaming lessons while I was there as well. Oh yeah, from your from your son. No, not, not quite. Not oh. quite. <laughs> Yeah, one of the days that it rained, because we holidayed in the UK, so of course it rained. Standard. Uh, we went to the arcades. They had an arcade Ooh. section on, on site. And I started to get into... I, I realised that when there's no story element to a game, right, I actually do get quite competitive. And I got competitive versus one of those 2P slot machine things where the shelf moves oh, no. and you drop the coins in and the shelf moves and pushes the coins down Did to the next layer. you calculate the exact timing? I was timing it perfectly. I was trying to time it so that it printed out tickets because it gave you tickets to exchange for prizes. Perfection's a state of mind. I'll just put that out there. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I got a little bit too gamey with it, but not as gamey as the teenagers that rocked up. <laughs> um, a lot of the machines have been used by kids, um, small kids. And, and, you. and me. <laughs> and they set high scores for the day or whatever. And, you know, there's small kids throwing basketballs into the hoop or whatever. And the system paid you out like 500 exchangeable tickets if you topped the high score. And so these teenagers were standing at the machine, topping the high score by one and then stopping, letting the timer run out, getting their 500 tickets, then beating their own score by one. Jamie. Oh, not jammy, genius, mate. <laughs> they were gaming the system. Clearly gamers of some sort, whether it's a <laughs> computer or, or something else. But they were milking the system, and uh, they had that they had that right down. Nice. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good reminder that, like, gaming principles transcend life. <laughs> it's transferable skills. That's transferable what... skills, yeah. And uh, you actually got some hobby progress done this week, right? Yeah, so I got uh, bases. They look like they're designed for Drop Zone Commander, but I'll go more into it in the hobby progress section. Uh, but they turned up. I uh, managed to airbrush those and, and, yeah, get them on the table and even got some pictures out on Instagram as well. I know, the, I was in shock. The first time in a long time. That's mainly because I haven't got the photo booth out for a while. Oh, fair not, enough. Not so much the hobby progress element. Of course, of course. Although that does contribute to it. Just a little bit. Speaking of slow progress, GW actually didn't fire out too much in time to talk about this episode. We've got a couple of bits to cover, but they've been fairly quiet on yeah. the uh, 40k front. Well, a lot of it seems to be focused on A, the Chaos releases that we'd already covered, um, and B, the Fire Slayers from Age of Sigmar. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to swing back and forth between 40k and Age of Sigmar, so they, they're giving us a bit of a break. Yeah, so even in that period of time, they haven't actually released too much for 40k. 
Uh, and then we've got a couple of topics lined up. Yeah, we thought we'd cover another one of our army rundowns, so we're going to talk about our favourite armies that we've worked on. We'll chat about documenting or logging things involved in the hobby, so everything from your paint recipes to uh, social media. Mm-hmm. And, of course, round it off with a hobby tip. Right, so we'll head straight into it. Right, so as is customary, Dave, do you want to go first? Go on, then. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the bases arrived from uh, Element Games. So as I mentioned, I got the bases from Element Games. So they are Micro Art Studio Urban Rubble. I should have looked this up. Never mind. Don't worry about it, mate. Yeah, so they, they are... Let's go with Urban Rubble. Sue me. So <laughs> They're one of Micro Art Studio's more easy-to-use bases, though, right? Because I find that Micro Art Studio bases fall into two camps. One... Easily usable and super detailed. All their bases are super detailed and very pretty. Yep, they're very pretty. The other camp is they have so much stuff on them, there's nowhere to put your actual model. So this is the issue I've come across. 90% of the bases are usable. There is one design out of the, I don't know, say 10 different design bases that is physically impossible to put any of the leg styles of my scions on unless I jazz it up a bit. So is there a speak. running legs set where they've just got one foot on the floor? Yes. So can he go on that base? I've tried. And yes, if I cut away one piece of rubble, okay. which That's he can then bad. stand on so you don't actually see it. Yeah, because all of the sort of outstretched legs and the the sort of in the brace position for they look good with heavy weapons and sort of normal standing legs don't really fit on them because there's one area where a foot can go and like i said i had to actually cut away one of the rocks in order to put the foot there but because it's broken rubble it doesn't look too bad you're gonna get away with it aren't yeah, you? yeah yeah so it, it doesn't look too bad at all but the bases are beautiful their bases are really well made and it took me two hours if that to do all of the 30 bases that i bought that's pretty good going, because basing can be... I hate basing. This is why yeah. I buy... Uh, we've mentioned it before. I hate basing, because I love bases, how they look. It's just I don't have the patience or the... Skill. ...creative acumen <laughs> to actually do my own bases. I am very much a paint-by-numbers. Conversions, fine. But when it comes to bases... Something it just about doesn't me. click for you. I just don't do nature. This is from working in IT. Like yeah. Everything is technology based. I don't do nature, so bases just don't work for me. Whereas robots, fine. <laughs> I mean, bases really do set the model off. I mean, a friend of ours, Dan, is ridiculously good at bases. No matter what style he chooses to go for, they always look on really on point. Uh, but they do finish off the model nicely. So if you don't like doing bases, or like you say, it just doesn't click for you, then I think buying pre-made ones is, is is a good option i mean i i like the gw ones because they're plastic but i'm i'm also i do like basing you hate resin are, bases though i yeah personally i hate resin bases just yeah. because of the drill and so, pin see, and attach. i love that because it makes them feel sturdy that's true and even though they're tempestus sounds they are blokes essentially it makes them feel sturdy and they're not going to fall apart as i handle them yeah, I think I maybe I'm put off from resin bases because I once decided to do my own, like sculpted and cast up resin bases for a orc and goblin horde in Warhammer. So like I had to do like 120 goblins, no more than that, on resin bases, and it drove me a bit bonkers. Yeah, um, that, that's, so maybe that's maybe that's why. That's clinically insane. Yep. 
but no i they they are beautiful models and literally it was a, an airbrush base coat of the gray on all of the tiled bits mm-hmm. and then i did brown on all the rubble and the uh, earth that can be seen coming up from the rubble uh, like it's been displaced by the explosions yep. and bullet holes etc etc uh, and then it's just a few colors detailing bullet shells guns coke cans that sort of thing soda cans yeah they're not branded they're red though because <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice spot color that's why yeah it is a nice spot color yeah and then washed washed those and went over the whole thing with like a light dusting of brown nice which i incidentally used on the bottom half of the models as well okay make it look like they're all sort of dusty with the dirt and the rubble um, rubble dust basically and i suppose it blends them into the base rather than having look like a model stuck on a base they yes. look as one that's yeah good. Uh, i mean i i've always been a uh, realistic painter so use the example of dan who's very good at basing his paint style is also very cartoony and you mean su- that in a the same way you described heavy metal as cartoony, right? You don't mean it in a negative way. You no, 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 no. It's it's, it's, it's a style of painting, and, whereas yeah. the edge highlighting is very crisp. Crisp, yeah. Uh, and I am the complete opposite. If I if I can get away without edge highlighting to an extent, I will, or I'll do very subtle edge highlighting because I'm more of a I'm more of a realistic painter. I like doing sort of replica models some more the forge world style of painting than gw which exactly. is i think what we've mentioned before yeah yeah yes yeah. so it's the two way the two approaches good, you know, it's a good way of putting it yeah so it's more uh weathering and scratches and dulling of surfaces rather than having bright crisp colors as well and that goes with all my color schemes as well yeah. most of my color schemes are well let's list them out i mean you've got the the dull salamanders you've got the black templars you've got the death court creed gray you've got the scions gray it must be a personality thing because dan's quite a vibrant and exciting person and you're quite a dull person so that's probably where it comes from no comment (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got nothing nothing to come back back, goodness me yeah so they've they were all finished to suck all the scions onto those bases and the next guy that I started painting up was that guy right there, which is... Perfect for a podcast. Perfect for a podcast. Janus Drake. Is it Drake or is it Drag? Drag. Oh. Do you know how it's I'm pronounced? I'm not going to do dodgy accents because uh, I was told off last time. <laughs> I believe it was edited out, actually. <laughs> Same difference. Yeah, Janus Drake. He is the rogue trader from Blackstone Fortress. So the guy with the monocle and the uh, rapier sword who instantly is a really cool model. It's so good. And he looks like a complete... Which I thought was perfect to go with the hierarchical leaders of Scions being the, the sort of upper class snobs that they are. Complete with his gloves and everything and the, the long smoking pipe. Uh, so I've started painting him up. He's almost done. I just need to uh, finish highlighting a few bits, like the pelt around his shoulders and the rim on his base. But he is pretty much there as well. So he is the also the leader of my kill team. Uh, nice. So I actually have a full kill team now. Oh, you beat me to it. My gene stealer cults are languishing. Oh no. What, what do I win? Did you bet on something? Respect. Oh, okay, the respect well, to my peers. Oh, maybe not. And the listeners, hopefully. Oh, no, I lost that respect. <laughs> Months <laughs> Episode ago. one, mate. Yeah. Was this the fifth episode without hobby progress? No, so he he is done and they are done. So my kill team is completely done. And I think 
I got the kill zone vibe down quite well. Yeah, I think you really have. And the orange spot colour looks really nice. It's not too much. And uh, yeah, I think they go and they go very well with the vehicles as well. Yes, it's very easy to not have your troops match your vehicles when you're doing like a camo pattern versus plain fatigues or whatever. It could be easy to screw it up You've, with the same color palette though. They 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 blend in just right. Yes, yeah, so, so like you said, the vehicles have the same color palette and they've got the orange spot color. Um, so I should actually take some pictures of them alongside. Yeah, that'd be really good, man. Get your stuff together and have them have them look more cohesive. So they, they come together really well. On that note, actually, I've thought about buying a bigger photo box. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, so one that will fit in a couple of vehicles and maybe 20 guys. Ooh, wow, yeah, okay. So, so rather than the sort of A4 box that we've got... I mean, that's generous, to be honest with you. Yeah, so, so more like a, an A3 sheet. Um, so well, that's quite big then, yeah. Yeah, so a good sort of 60, cent- 70 centimetres across. There's a few on Amazon... For Go for it, yeah. Reasonable prices. I think that will allow me to take photos of wider ranges of models rather than three at a time to get them up close. Because I find that the photo booth that we got, albeit is very, very good for small numbers of models. Up if to you, five, I think. Yeah, if you've got larger larger groups of models, you tend to get the sort of the back bits in. You can see it's like... Yeah, it's not perfect. The, the background's not been held up, but for the price, it's, it's excellent. It's been brilliant, yeah. And last but not least, I have uh, dusted off the towel. Literally or metaphorically? Both. Because uh, they, they were literally gathering dust. So this will help you with your New Year's resolution of uh, completing a 1750 of Scions, Dave, yeah? Well, actually, shut up. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I've, I've wanted to finish the towel off uh, for a while. I've done, say, 500 points of it with sniper drones and the, the spotter that goes with them, some stealth suits and a ghost kill. And with the addition of models that I already have in my collection, I just haven't repainted, essentially, because they were from my old Tau army. I can easily get it up to 1,500, and I actually wrote a list today. Um, so I think I only need to buy, what, three boxes? And That's that, not too bad, And though. then that whole 1,500-point list I already have, essentially. You can't be reusing models you've got with a, with a bit of a touch-up and a, or a repaint to... Yeah, exactly. More life yeah. out of them. I love the color scheme that I use for them. I love the theme. It's really good. Yeah, it's. I need. I need a sort of uh, hobby butterfly go between. I mean, you're turning you, it to me now. Well, you, dangerous territory, mate. You've been. I mean, you've been doing your terrain, which you'll get to in your hobby progress, and you've been sort of fluttering back and forth between your sort of death guard stuff as well. Oh, and everything, mate. Everything. Yeah. And and your Imperial Knight, where you almost went crazy with the trim last week. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I needed that bouncing project, and I got my towel out, and I wrote a list today, and I'm actually quite excited to get some of those painted up as well. Well, that was a lot to fill us in on, man. You've uh, definitely been a busy boy. Yeah, I it, it just sort of hit me when I've, I've finished the nursery now, essentially. I've built all the furniture, uh, bar sort of one or two things. Um, and now my evenings can actually be spent doing hobby and other stuff. So yeah. I've uh, I've got some time back, which is always nice. Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. So when you talk about your hobby progress. Yeah. So, I mean, I've already vaguely alluded to it. So, so I have had some progress on the Gene Stealer Cult Kill Team Collection Challenge versus Dave, which I've lost miserably. Well, it wasn't really a challenge. It was... It was your way of uh, subtly motivating me to finish. Sure. 
I mean, I'll bas- give you that credit. <laughs> it blatantly wasn't, but I'll give you that credit. Yeah, basically, I stopped. I stopped uh, paying Element Games to delay your shipment, and yeah. uh, they, <laughs> they shoved it in the post. No, they, they were they were very good. I was, I was speaking to their customer service, and they they filled me in, and they actually sort of because it was it wasn't their fault; it was the supplier. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm not taking a piss out of them. They they've been really good. I mean, I bought a couple of bits and pieces from them, and it's always been dispatched real fast and, and arrived well. So, oh, yeah. mainly just trying to bait you. I have had some progress on them, but not not enough to really report much about. But the Plague Burst Crawler is now done. Ooh. Finally. Nice. I just had the guns to do, um, so they're sorted out now, which is yeah, great. Yeah, you were weathering it last episode, weren't you? I am, and uh, yeah, I was, and it took a lot of time with all the rust effects, but it's come out really nice, and I'm only doing one, so it was worth putting the extra effort in. And I've got two Mephetic Blight Crawlers up next, so... They're the three-wheelers? Yeah, they're the, they're the three-wheeled trike crazy things yeah. so they'll, they'll be next on the list for the uh, for the death guard project um because yeah i've got a hobby butterfly around because doing one thing and actually finishing it is uh, is challenging so i as mentioned in the previous episode was prepping for terrain phase three yeah so this is the big this is the big, the big uh, push. One, yeah where, where you don't you feel like you do a lot for not much result but the actual end result looks yeah. Great, it really ties it all together. And we're calling it Phase 3 because Phase 2, the prepping phase, took a lot longer than I planned <laughs> and it feels very much a separate activity, so I've kind of broken it down into a new phase. I had done all the prep work, I did even more barrels and crates because I found more of my White Shark Gaming Studios barrels that I bought off, uh, bought off Ian over at White Shark and decided to spray up as many as I could find in my collection because I just wanted to add as much detail as possible. I raided my vehicle's bits box for every single ammo case, a fuel can box that I could find. And as I mentioned before, I prepared all my rubble mix. So I had all this stuff now done and ready. Painted, varnished, everything, all ready to go. So I thought, let's use a whole morning. I had some time off work because I'd taken a week's holiday. We'd gone away for some days and I had some time at home. Unfortunately, my little boy got sick, so it kind of ate into productivity, shall we say. I didn't really have like a four-hour block like I'd hoped. And also, some things went horrifically wrong when I started doing it. So, always do a test piece, whatever you're doing. (laughs) So, (laughs) I did a test piece. I did one of my, the small pumping station piece. Put the extra barrels on, thought it looked good. Stuck some posters on the walls, thought they looked good. Put the rubble on, as, as described. Sprayed it with the isopropyl alcohol, thought this is looking great. Put the PVA glue on, left it to dry. Started getting on with other bits and pieces I was doing as part of the morning's session. As the isopropyl alcohol evaporated, it basically reacted with all the brown wash on the project. So that's your metals, golds, yeah. things like that. And turned them all cloudy white. Yeah. Like really cloudy white. The pictures were distressing. Yes. As you were distressing <laughs> over text. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too happy. I put a bunch of different products on different test areas to try and figure out what would solve the problem. Everything made it go away as soon as it got wet, but then when they all dried, it came back it came again. Back again yeah. The only thing that fixed it was Vallejo's acrylic gloss varnish. For some reason, whatever's causing the clouding, whether it's some sort of layer on there, I couldn't wash it off, so it wasn't a layer. It was some sort of weird chemical reaction was taking place. That fixed it. It made it go away, and when it dried, it set so that the nothing was exposed or reacting or whatever, and fixed the problem. So I have some small sections of pipework and some doors and things to go over, um, but I'm just going to bomb it with this gloss by brush, and that fixes it. So I then 
immediately got onto Amazon Prime and ordered myself as quick <laughs> as I could a bunch of cans of matte spray varnish and then just varnished all the buildings to seal them completely. Um, to make sure it doesn't happen again. To make sure again. it doesn't happen again. And because the problem was such a... It really did ruin the piece. Um, I got some good quality varnish rather than the cheaper stuff. Bombed it all. And I'm now three quarters of the way through applying all of the, the rubble mix. So I've got bits stacked up at home uh, drying as we speak. Um, because I have a game booked in for this weekend, so I need to get my act together. Ooh. Is this going to be a game on the podcast? It is going to be a bat rep for the next episode, would you believe it? Nice. I have enjoyed doing this stage of the terrain, as stressful as the the screw-up was. The rest of it's been really good fun. Putting the barrels in, like, doing little story elements with, like, cans piled up and making it look like positions have been defended and stuff. I got flexible sandbags from Green Stuff World. You basically trim the ends off this little miniature bag of actual sand, Mm -hmm. dunk it in PVA and water, squidge it onto your piece, let it dry, and it looks like a sandbag. Perfect. Really good and really easy because screw making them out of green stuff. But I did have a like a what have I done moment the other day when I went into the spare room where I've got it all sort of out on bin bags on the table and it looks like a bomb's gone off in yeah, my hobby room. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's like a hurricane's gone through. It doesn't look great. So I'm going to get that sorted and, and get on with it. And lastly, as you alluded to, the night's trim. F- painting gold. Honestly, <laughs> I'm done. Like I've got one more piece of trim to finish. Oh, you still not? You still, still got to get the gold on it, and then then the gold's done, and I can actually start gluing the panels on and getting the knights finished because I need them to be ready to go. I do like the knights; I love the models. Painting the gold trim has just been a chore. I think I did too much at one go, doing one knight and the two armagers at the same time. It made spraying them super quick and easy. It's made gold highlighting them a depressing misery. So maybe next time I'll just do one at a time if I do another another project like this. And on that happy note, yeah. let's move on to chat about GW's releases. Yes, yeah, so it's been a slow couple of weeks from Games Workshop by their standards. By their current standards. By, the, by their current standards. This is this is back to old school, where they have one release a month, and it's in White Dwarf, and you don't see it online. But uh, yeah, they've, they've spent quite a lot of time with the Fire Slayers, uh, the Dwarf Fire guys from Age of Sigmar. Dwarf Fire guys. Dwarf Fire Burning... Uh, gold? Ungold. Something. Oh, I really wanted to do a Fire Slayer army at some point. Whatever. Um, but they've got burning brands into their, like, nipples and stuff. So, <coughs> that's that's how I describe them. Yeah, fair enough. However, that is Age of Sigma. Tune into the Floor Axe podcast. <laughs> Our Age of Sigma podcast with, with further insights into Urgal nipple slayers uh, right <laughs> can so, we just move on dave because this is like getting really bad now yeah um that's sort of trailing up as well right master of executions there yes that's his actual title as i called him lord executioner and then realized that was a space marine guy and got very confused well you tried to get me to type in <laughs> massive axe chaos space marine guy into google just to try and find him <laughs> it'd been a lot quicker, as I found out, going to the Games Workshop pre-orders page. Uh, yeah. But well, this, the... is, this is how we work, Dave. We, we, we make sure on the air we try and use the correct model terms, but generally speaking, we just vaguely describe them by what they look like when we talk to each other. Yeah, and which is made even worse with your autocorrect skills. So, <laughs> Yeah, so the Master of Executions is the Chaos Space Marine Lord Executioner guy with the Massive Axe guy. That axe is freaking huge. It's yeah. so awesome. But I just love his shoulder pad. He's got like a bone rib cage thing on his shoulder he's pad. He's metal AF, mate. It's so good. Oh, yeah. He's like straight out of, well, Sigma or Warcraft or something. 
Yeah, he looks really badass, and he is not messing around. He looks cool. Yeah, so uh, Master of Executions, he most certainly is. He basically seems like a standard Chaos Space Marine guy for the Nurgle executioner guy they have those giant axes as well on some of the models yeah with the hoods and things yeah so who's what's the nurgle execution guy with his belly sort of going oh, over the handle that everyone entered into golden demon one year i don't know it wasn't the year of the skink priest we've discussed was, this yeah. i would call him like fat nurgle execution guy yeah and you know what i mean I and don't you'd know get me to title. google that and i'd try and find it but uh, also went up for a pre-order or actually did it come out the lord discordant he is up for pre-order i think and as we mentioned previously he looks freaking awesome they've got thoroughly confused as to how he operates his gun but he actually has one of his like mechadendrites like holding the trigger it's it really, looks really cool, cool. <laughs> you you said that as a joke and, and it turned out to be i was not joking i was being accurate yeah well educated <laughs> luck, guess. educated guess i'll put that down as um, and finally the dark apostle with his uber cool apostle blokes and um, what they called um i'm gonna say cultists, cultists initiates something along those lines yeah he is one of the most badass chaos models they've brought out for a while because they've had a lot of chaos models with books and things and usually the books on fire or the books dripping blood but no this guy's book is on fire and dripping blood they just couldn't get crazier with it, basically. So he's their equivalent of a chaplain, basically. So he prophesies about the Chaos Gods in a fanatical, ranting way. He's basically like the ranting guy from Whiterun in Skyrim, um, except he babbles on about Chaos instead of Talos. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves Always that guy. Always the first to die. <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, I just love his, like I said, his two cultist guys, including uh, Burning Skull Circle Dude, Swinging. I mean, what has he got there? It looks like a bear trap trapped a servo skull and then caught fire. <laughs> and now he shows it as a symbol of battle. Uh, and Voxcaster face guy with um, <laughs> candles all over his back. But I mean, the, the two models themselves look awesome. It just must be weird going home to his wife and explaining what he had to do all day, which was just holding this circular <laughs> circular burning skull into battle. I, I mean, I don't think being a chaos cultist is a day job for them, Dave. I think it's more of a life commitment. Well, I like to think they've got a 9-to-5 job. Steady, and the uh, burning book, melting book guy seems like a, a, a nice taskmaster. Yeah, I think work-life balance is really important to him. Yeah, <laughs> those vitality benefits. <laughs> so, uh, mo- moving swiftly on, the Battle Sister Bulletin actually came out today. I'm loving them bringing this out every yeah. week now, or every other week. They're giving us a little glimpse into the development of the Sisters of Battle line that's coming down the line. That was really badly done. Yeah. Um, Sounds like one of my segues. <laughs> not that bad, mate. Um, I'm really enjoying it that they're, that they're churning through this and keeping the community updated. They're like, you asked for this, so here's all the information about the progress of the project. And today was the turn of the Rhino chassis parts, which... Oh, oh my God. They have built-in shrines and skulls and fleur-de-lis and all sorts and those shrines are hyper detailed as well. Like yeah. they look really amazing. I mean, we, we covered this at uh, the Warhammer Fest wrap up actually of how CGI designing has come on so far that these models now are so hyper detailed that they can do all of this. It's bonkers. It's it's ridiculous. And also, the bulletin also teased the penitent engine head. So the penitent engine is basically a guy that's repenting. In a big... That's a nice way of putting it. Almost. It's sort of halfway between a Dreadnought and a Baby Carrier from the Grey Knights. <laughs> just a bit more... Killy. 
Yeah, it looks it looks almost orcish. Actually, yep. it's very very cobbled together looking. But uh, yeah, they've released the head from the guy that pilots it. I say pilots it. <laughs> looks like he doesn't really have a choice. Uh, he doesn't, Dave. No. <laughs> yeah, he's got like eight different connectors coming out of his skull plates, and he looks in absolute agony um, with a nice metal choke around his neck. Yeah, with his, he, with he, his prison number as well. Yes, he does not look like he's having a good time. No. Um, but it's just wonderfully detailed and, you know, this kit in plastic is just going to be bonkers with the level of detail a- along with all the other sister stuff that's coming down the line. Yeah, I I really liked the Penitent engines, although they were metal before. And the, uh, was it Lord uh, Karazmanov? Oh, on the walking chair. Oh, yeah. That I guy. really wanted that for Seriously, you Black gonna, Templars. You're going to want to pick him up in the next six to nine months before they, well, whatever the sisters do come out and they take him offline. Or he gets a redo, a redo, which would be cool, but his current model is also really good. Yeah, it's, he's in Finecast, I think. Yes, that's correct. Um, so, A, it's a big model in Finecast, so you're, it might have a few issues with it. And B, with the level of details and the models that are coming out currently, I think his model might actually improve. It might do, but he... he... <sighs> There, there are a few models. I mean, I was actually chatting with a work colleague today about uh, um, Death Guard Chaos Space Marines, uh, and every single kit that they've brought out, which has been an update, I've loved, apart from Typhus. Yes. Well, I I've... really liked the old Typhus. Uh, I'm not a great fan of the cheerleading one. No, I'm, I'm not, I don't like his pose. I mean, I've picked up the old Typhus to have as my, in my Death Guard rather than the new one. Uh, for that exact reason. So, I mean, let's see what happens. I mean, he might not get included at all. They have chopped out some named characters like that from the kits. So, let's see what we get. But um, I'm, I'm loving the fact they're sharing the process with us as they go along. Yeah, I, I was going to... I wasn't going to use him as um, Kazmarov. I was going to actually use him as a an Inquisitor. Nice. Uh, as part of, like, a Black Templar's retinue. Because to get around the lack of psychers in my black templars army i had inquisitors and he looked like a perfect fit he is an inquisitor so it would make sense and he has one of the best quotes from 40k uh, in his fluff which is any plea of innocence is guilty of wasting my time <laughs> or something to that effect where he just takes no <laughs> from anybody nice so yeah he's he's awesome and I suppose it rolls nicely into talking about the big survey of 2019, because Sisters of Battle was kind of spun out of them asking the community what you want, and a billion people replied saying, Sisters of Battle's in plastic, please. Uh, and we got it. Yeah. Well, so I'm getting it. This this came out uh, today, I think, in fact. It's fresh news, although by the time we do the editing and release it, it's not so fresh. Last week, they brought out the big stuff. <laughs> but seriously, do it before it's gone, because they, they do actually listen to the content that's aggregated from all of the uh, all the feedback. They're still halfway through doing his, but never mind. Well, as long as it doesn't time out, we're all good. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to our first topic. Let's talk about our favourite armies. Right, so do you want to lead us off with this one, Dave? As we're talking favourite armies... Yes, so uh, long-time listeners to the show and arguably short-time listeners to the show will know that I am a Black Templars fanboy. Are you really? Yes, I do love them so. They were my first, I guess, first army that I really, really loved. Um, I liked the Imperial Guard that I did because I loved the Gaunt's Ghost novels. The Imperial Guard army that followed them was my step in back into 40k, I should say, because um, essentially Tau was my first 
40k army um but it was my step back into 40k and i liked them but i liked them more for the lore and background of gaunt's ghosts more than the actual army itself Uh, and then i had the salamanders because i liked space marines because space uh, marines are cool. Yeah, and I had a really, really old codex, which actually had like data slates for um, some st- salamander specialist units, I think they were. Um, this, this was way back when. But my first love, which was the army after that one, was uh, the Black Templars. So I loved the colour scheme. I loved the models that they what had. Black. Yeah, well, yeah. I very much like the, uh, like I said earlier, the dull colour schemes of yeah. sort of blacks, greys, whites, uh, the monotone, so to speak. And the Black Templars really solidified that, along with the sort of uh, Crusades-style knight background to them as well, like the Crusading Knights, the Questing Knights. I love all that sort of stuff. It's strange that I never liked the Bretonians, but um, no, the Templars really, really hit home uh, to me and I, I really got into it and I started reading the background to them and I loved the artwork behind them. Um, so I got into the Templars back in, ooh, this must have been fifth. That must have been before that. It must have been no, before it was back when they had their own codex and you had to pay for f***ing grenades. You did have to pay for grenades, but that's because... Yeah, this has just got to be like back and forth, right? Because their, I mean, their actual codex was probably a third edition codex. Actually, yeah. Come thinking was. about it, and you, you, they didn't get included into the actual marine codex until fifth, I think. Yes, no, that sounds about right. And that, was, that was back when fifth was the big we are space marines yes yeah um yeah but their 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 war gear list was broken that was the problem (laughs) you had to pay for space you had to pay for your grenades for your space marines crag and crack had separate costs if i remember rightly i think it was yeah two for one and one for ridiculous it was was three points for grenades on top of your standard costing marine unit you could however you could have, however, buy everything else. Yes, which included buying Terminator honours, which <laughs> normally was restricted to veteran sergeants, captains, that sort of thing. But you could also buy it for the Terminators, if I remember rightly, in the in that <laughs> extra attack of the, the Terminators. Oh my god! Yeah, the war gear, the war gear section, I don't think had either an editor or a proofreader. I don't think the Codex had a proofreader, because if I'm remembering back correctly as well, and someone in our group would correct me on this one, I'm fairly sure they were the, the only Codex that you were able to put your Terminators in drop pods as well. Uh, quite possibly. I can't remember back that far. But because uh, then, then there was no deep strike scattering mishap risk, because you just shoved them in a drop pod and smashed your opponent's face to bits. Yeah, and uh, that was back when you could land wherever in a drop pod. Yeah. But uh, the, the <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I've got it in bold bold letters. Uh, Power of the Machine Spirit Vindicators were the bane oh. of any opponent. So you could buy Power of the Machine Spirit for your Vindicators. Which well, for means, all your vehicles. Well, yeah, for all your vehicles, including Vindicators. But they were the special ones yeah. because they had a massive demolisher cannon. What's the downside to the demolisher cannon? The range. Not if you go forward 12 and use Power of the Machine Spirit to fire that thing at n- normal ballistic skill. And this was back when they had stupid rules around ordnance where you couldn't fire... You could only fire ordnance, you couldn't fire your other weapons. Yeah. Um, so, again, like, just... The Power of Machine Spirit getting around all the restrictions from moving and shooting was, was dumb. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, because you couldn't shoot template weapons if you'd, you'd moved. I'm trying to remember. Sort of it, was, yeah. it, was, it was complicated as could be. But, yeah, they just went, nah, don't care, move 12, bomb your face. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. And, uh, y- yeah, I felt jammy at the time. Looking back, it was jammy. And <laughs> um, I don't care because they're Black Templars. <laughs> it's, 
And weren't they the first army to get the ability to always hit on a three if you chose the right vow? I honestly can't remember now. So the vows acted like the sisters' uh, prayers. Yeah, you had to pick a vow for them. them. I'm sure that they had one where they could hit on threes, which meant that they thought they... They were the only ones that were able to hit other space marines when it was back to weapon skill comparison on three. <laughs> so they were vicious in combat. Which they should have been. I mean, the problem with the 5th edition space marine codex, and actually the codexes after that, is we are space marines. We are making the game simpler. Uh, not that 5th, 6th and 7th were simple. But... Um, they they became standard space marines and they sort of lost their flavour slightly. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it helped having the Crusader gods in the latest codexes, um, being able to put scouts or neophytes into the Crusader squads, but they sort of always lost that edge unless you had a Black Templar character with them, whereas this was like an army-wide rule for Black Templar marines. But I had some really good games with them and... Uh, the ones that I can remember, we've mentioned them a few times before. The games versus your orcs, uh, fairly recently, last year. Yep. No, they're always a really good matchup. I think you may have even mentioned it on the last episode, actually. That, uh, yeah, it's a really great matchup to, to do those little um, mini campaign games of orcs versus black templars and a, and a flavor classic. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, however, not a flavor classic was Grimaldus. So, Grimaldus, uh, for those that don't know, he has a plasma pistol. So, nowadays, that is very scary. Uh, although he hardly ever misses. Uh, he would kill himself if he rolled a one and he overcharged it. You yes, don't have right. to overcharge it anymore. Uh, whereas before, if you rolled a one, you'd lose a wound uh, with no saves. Yeah. Uh, d- don't at me about all the, the ways you got around those saves and everything. but Because <laughs> um, <laughs> 7th edition. Um, but yeah, it, he used to constantly shoot himself in the head with his plasma pistol. It was constantly overheating because I could not roll a two-up to save my life when it came to shooting that thing. <laughs> Until he'd lost a wound, and then every single game, Grimaldus would be whiffing and all sorts until his plasma pistol overheated and he shot himself in the head. He'd lose a wound and basically go bat crazy. A bit like Lamartes has in Actually his rules. Does, yeah. <laughs> But Grimaldus just seemed to, it sort of clicked, it like sort of injected some sort of adrenaline shot into <laughs> him. And uh, yeah, there was numerous games where he would uh, take on a whole squad of, of models and come out on the other side as well, because he was quite hard to kill. Yeah, especially when he would just would not die. He had a special, I can't remember what it was, but I'm sure he came back to life on one wound or something. Wow. Yeah, he or was... Pain the ass. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like the sort of the fluff fluff reasons of Hell's Reach and stuff and coming, spoiler alert, um, but coming out of the wreckage of the, the cathedrals and stuff. But my all-time favourite Black Templar moment with my army was the Emperor's Champion. So the Emperor's Champion is a master duelist. He is adept at killing characters. He can uh, duel anyone. And for the most part, he gets underused because uh, nowadays he gets like an aura when he's w- near a character. He gets buffed up. Yeah. Um, then you had to be in a challenge. With oh, the, the old challenge rules. Yeah, I hate challenges. Uh, and one challenge I can remember, remember quite apt, was against the Warmaster himself, Abaddon. Oh, very, very timely with the with the new release. Exactly. So this was at a campaign weekend, and the Emperor's Champion went absolutely crazy and slayed 
Slade Slew. Slew. Killed. Killed. Let's go with killed. Yep. Killed Abaddon in uh, a challenge, which was oh, his crowning glory. And I've had him in a, in a Black Templar's army every single game, gla- allowing after that. Because fluff-wise, the Emperor's Champion is like a position, isn't it? Rather than an actual person. He was chosen before the Crusade. Yeah, before the Crusade. I can't remember who who um, sort of forms a, a brotherhood circle. But uh, they get they get chosen at random, they go absolutely crazy, and then they get taken away and they don the uh, the armour and the black sword. Yeah. And uh, they become the champion for the Crusade. Um, and... Yeah, so they are a master duelist, and they're to sort of represent Sigismund at the Gates of Terror, who was the Emperor's champion, and who was fighting off the the different Chaos, I say Chaos, sorry, Horus's um, champions. Uh, so so that that's where it sort of comes from, and therefore he's a master duelist, and he's really good at killing characters, and killing Abaddon was his, literally, his crowning glory. He doesn't really, apart from killing a Primarch, he doesn't really get much... No, no. Higher I mean, up than that. He's not going to cut Mortarion down. Absolutely screwed now. <laughs> <laughs> this this was back when Abaddon wasn't quite as good. He, I mean, he had the demon uh, sword. But he was unreliable and a bit bonkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every time he rolled a one, yeah. I mean, the, I, I can't remember the exact rolling and all that sort of stuff. This was years ago. Um, but I'm sure Abaddon had fallen over his sword once or twice in that duel. E- yes, Abaddon's iron. In future army reviews, I'll, I'll get on to Abaddon as a character back in the day. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was a tricksy one. And while we're on characters, let's not forget Helbrecht, because that guy oh, is yeah. a boss. So before, in 7th edition, I always used to take Grimaldus. Grimaldus was the all-round better character. He gave the army a better buff. He was cheaper. Yeah. Uh, but this edition, Helbrecht has completely replaced Grimaldus, so much so that I don't think I've taken Grimaldus in 8th edition. Just because Helbrecht has been ridiculously good. He, on paper, he is good. In reality before, he wasn't very good. Now he's had a points drop and a slight buff, actually. He has turned up in every single game I've used him. He's been ripping uh, squads apart and he's been killing off characters as well. As he should do. As he should do. Well, when you've got a greatsword the size of a human, uh, you're expected to do something with it. Yeah, and his backup weapon is a uh, combi melter as well, so let's not forget that one as well. But moving on, uh, do you want to talk about your favourite army? Yeah, I mean, it was tricky when thinking about my favourite army because, uh, I mean, I plumbed for my Ultramarine army, which won't surprise surprise many people. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, then... Space Marines, while they're awesome, are not my favourite army in 40k, but of the armies that I've done, Ultramarines is the one I love the most, and mm-hmm. it's an army I've had for quite a long time now. I started it back in 2011, I want to say, so it's actually quite a long while back, uh, for a campaign weekend. We love our campaign weekends. Oh yeah, of- often the uh, cause for a new army. Yeah, and this was the first campaign weekend I'd gone to, so I wanted to do a brand new army. Um, had the money. That was that was pre-child. Yes, it was, yeah. <laughs> had some had some money. I based the army selection off of the uh start collecting box sets of the day, which I think back then was like a tactical squad, a this scout a squad force. and a rhino. Yeah, battle, a battle force. force where you saved a grand total of zero pounds. No, there were some savings to be had. Was not, there? Not, oh, okay. Not much. Um, <laughs> so I based it off of that. And, I mean, I picked Ultramarines because I think Ultramarines were cool. I've always thought Ultramarines were cool, and everyone bashes them for being the poster boys of 40k. And before certain books came out, like No No Fear, 
where they showed, you know, a deeper layer to the Ultramarines than just the poster boys of 40k. Um, they were much maligned. And they were my first army that I collected, a small third company force. So the concept behind them was to do a first company. Um, because I thought they wouldn't cool. Yeah, the Ultramarines have, going on to your previous point, they've always suffered with the standard curse. They have to be standard because they are the cover boys and they are a way of getting into 40k without being too specific and too confusing to new players. Yeah, yeah, and the problem is they get referred to as vanilla marines or whatever yeah. because the downside was that they kind of did lose their flavour in the middle of the codexes, to be honest. Like, when codexes were brought out, they were kind of just like a bit like the, like you say, bog standard codex marines. But obviously, they've now been given and, you know, their imagery's been improved a lot in recent <laughs> times. Yeah, they went on a big marketing campaign, big branding campaign to uh, improve their image. Like a good PR. Yeah. Yeah, they're all on the uh, tube adverts, aren't they? <laughs> the Metro adverts. <laughs> I wanted to do First Company because I thought it would be cool. Obviously, the First Company did get absolutely annihilated by the Tyranids, so I was kind of setting the, I was kind of setting it before that. We're after it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Just empty bases. No, and uh, obviously back in the day, you had to use Force Org charts because this was like fifth edition, I want to say. Um, so I had to have tactical squads so I just painted them all to look like first company but obviously used them as normal tactical marines I had Sicarius in there as filling in for the first company captain which I think is Agamemnon Agamemnon I'm going to have to I'm going to have to check that, sounds, that, that slash... Sounds, that sounds right. ...not check that. And because it was for Campaign Weekend, I think one of the games was up to 2.5k, so I went full-on, got Marnius Calgar in there with some Honor Guard, and I spent months and months and months building the army, converting them all. I made... I collected, like, six or seven of the Ultramarine shoulder pads, because you didn't have them back then, from the Captain that you used to get, you know, the plastic Captain. One of his shoulder pads yeah. was an Ultramarine's one. Got a whole bunch of those together, made a mould of them cast my own shoulder pads so they were all uniform. Oh, so wow. I wanted to do an army of them, but I didn't have the money to do an army of Forge World ones, because they're like 12 quid for 10 or you something. You mean you didn't want to do 80 transfers? Um, no. Um, so I went through that painstaking effort of baking all these all with our friend Ian's help. I converted my Dreadnought. One of the Dreadnoughts, the Ironclad, had a Roman shield, because oh, obviously yes. the Roman theme is strong in the Ultramarines. He had a Roman shield, he had the Grey Knight's uh, baby carrier sword converted into a gladius. Um, I even hit, put like mock hinges on the shield and mounted the hurricane bolters on his chest. So the theory being he would defend the marines with his shield, then flip open the shield and just mow everything down with his bolt guns. I love that dreadnought. Have you still got it? I've still got it. He needs repainting, unfortunately. I did the terminators with my own Roman shields that I made out of plastic cards and bits. So I spent all this time doing all these conversions. I got a million Dire Avenger plumes and cut all the plumes off to make the helmeted plumes from the Space Marine oh, Special yes. Sergeants. And the uh, Assault Marines were all wielding Romanesque spears. You know, I went full hog. Uh, my Terminators had Grey Knight swords on the end of spear halves for the Thunderhammer Storm Shield Terminators. And then three weeks before the campaign weekend, I realised I hadn't actually started painting the army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks beautiful in grey plastic. Yep. So I went into a bit of a panic attack and stuck all of them onto uh, wooden boards or boxes and stuff that I had and airbrushed the crap out of them. So I went in with the old school Necron, Necron Abyss, the old dark blue base paint from when they first brought out foundation paints. Yes. Yes, Dave's going to say yes. Uh, so it's very dark blue and then I did like zenithal spray with two different shades of blue it did not look great um i then 
bulk washed the whole thing in Badab Black. You say that. Again, I like dull painting. I much, much, much prefer darker blues for ultramarines compared to the Color Boys cartoony um, bright blues and yeah. bright golds of, of the uh, the standard box art. Yeah, so I, I mean, I had to do this spray job in order to get them ready on time. Then I frantically painted details on them. I had all the heads separate so that I could spray them white and wash them. Um, the Friday before the campaign weekend, I was still washing and gluing heads onto the Marines. The Friday we normally drive up. Yes. Nice. Yeah, so it was a real panic to get it finished. One of my other conversions that I put in was the Cassius model. I wanted to do Cassius, but I didn't want to buy him with the Tyranid Hunter models because I thought they looked crap. Um, so I converted one out of a Dark Angels robed model, I think. It was a... I'm pretty sure it was a Dark Angels one. And I gave him a massive flail that was... A whole bunch of the eagle heads that I'd collected off of the Space Marine Captain Sprue on chains on like a massive two-handed stave. I, I love that model. That 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 is my favourite conversion you've got in the army. Oh, thank you. That's and, right. And uh, su- surprise, surprise, in combat, uh, Cassius was actually no slouch because he was mega cheap because he was a chaplain uh, and he just refused to die because he was toughness six. Yes. Um, so he could, back in the day, he could not be instant killed. We had like a metal head. Yes. So... Uh, that that kind of gives you that extra toughness. I think his head that I used was actually the um, Black Templars one, where he's got the Terminator head, as in like half the head is metallic and half the head is flesh. Nice, nice. Um, inadvertently, the army was actually a bit of a meta winning choice for fifth edition at the time. I literally based it off those box sets, but having like four tactical squads in rhinos, you went full rhino rush. It was it was an inadvertent rhino rush army. Um, and uh, the campaign weekend, I think I won four games and drew one, which is my best result ever. <laughs> um, never to be matched. Yeah, I had a really good time with the army. I was very pleased with how it came together. It looked okay as a whole army because it looked very cohesive. On an individual level, the models didn't look great. No, I, I, I would always pick a uniform army over individual models, though. And I rushed the basing. The basing looked tragic. It was just... I, th- I think that does let, let it down, actually. Um, yeah. But you, you are redoing them now. They're all on the Sector Imperialis bases so, now. Yeah, now they're all on 32 mil bases. Which I is more than my Templars. Yep. When 8th edition dropped, um, I did not have the money at all available to buy anything new. Um, but I wanted to do an army for 8th edition because I hadn't played... Se- I think I played one or two games of 7th. That was it. I hated it. it too bloated. With the new rules changing, the overhaul, I was really excited. I got the Ultramarines back out of storage. Um, I snapped off all their guns and redid all their guns. I snapped off all their heads and redid all their heads because I, I resprayed them all Kalgar blue out the can. Um, did a dark blue wash on them, because I do like my Ultramarines dark, mm-hmm. and then properly did line highlighting on them, because I didn't even highlight the Marine Army before that. It was just all sprays, and it didn't look good. So this time I did it properly, following Duncan's approach to painting Ultramarines. Standard. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they look a lot better. Unfortunately, I mean, I did enough for, like, three tactical squads. I did my Terminators. I bought the proper Forge World shields this time round, and played a bunch of games with them. Initially, loved them, because they got their first Codex... Uh, but as we've mentioned, and everybody's mentioned about a million times now, Space Marines are yes in the current game. Not just like, they're not top tier, they're really Um They are easy to face. Yeah, they, they don't scare me at all. Even when I was with my Harlequins, and I was scared of your bolters. And flamers. And, well, and flamers. But after the initial shots, 
your survivability was just zero. And even my Harlequins went straight. I mean, they're designed to go through Marines, but I didn't envision them to go through Marines so easily. No. Um, yeah, so I've lost a lot of games horrifically with the Ultramarines, not just because I'm a tactical incompetent, but also because the, the Marines just died. Let's not beat around the bush. That is part, <laughs> <laughs> part of the problem. Um, so, I mean, I've lost faith in the army. I've lost drive to repaint more of the models like their Dreadnought. I love that Dreadnought model. Um, I would never get rid of it. I'm also not going to repaint it because there's just no point because I don't want to use the army. So when Marines this year, new codex, I'm calling it now. They're getting a new codex this year. They're going to make Space Marines great again. And they nice, are nice, reference. nice. And they're going to be playable. And then I will do more repainting, I think, is the way it's going to go. Yeah. I have had some epic games with them, though. Uh, most memorable ones. Campaign weekend again, I'm going to fire off like we talked about. Uh, we played a f- that campaign weekend that we played the first one. There was a four-player game at the end. I am gutted I missed that one. Yeah, four. I, one- I, I love doubles games. I love multiplayer games. But, yeah, I'm gutted I missed that four-player game. Yeah, four 1,000-point armies up against four 1,000-point armies. We took all the beards we could manage. In, in I had two five-man tactical squads, and the rest of it was just a land raider full of stuff. <laughs> um, everyone had bearded it up to the max. Um, and it was a, it, we ended up playing four guys who had taken four hordes. They deployed a go- along like a 10-foot table they gave us. I'm shaking my head at you, We Richard. deployed in one corner. Um, my two tackle tack squads did come on as reserves, though, because back in the day you just shoved them in reserve. Uh, they came on into a forest, went to ground, and spent the entire game crawling through mud, getting shot by the stuff that was bored at the other end of the table. Oh, yeah, God. it wasn't. Uh, but um, that was back in the dark days of you wanted to win games desperately. No, we just thought it would be cool. We all, <laughs> we each took four Space Marine chapters. We each took four like characters from the chapters with all their cool stuff and your brave ultramarines were crawling through the mud at the back of the board they had to go to ground mate you could get cut safe <laughs> back then from that it's four up in trees if you get to ground <laughs> uh, the other most memorable game i think for the marines was an apocalypse game we played at the shop oh yes and it's not because apocalypse is you know i, I took a tactical marine army to an apocalypse game um thankfully our friend mike had taken a, an imperial guard infantry army to an apocalypse <laughs> game so we deployed opposite each other down one end of the table and we proceeded to play 40k while everybody else played apocalypse up the other end of the table until some <laughs> decided they get bored with the big things they were shooting at and they turned their guns on us and my poor tactical squad's rhino got blown up multiple rhinos got blown up the squads got out uh, a bane blade shelled the out of all of them the five guys that were left got shot at by a flyer which then proceeded to crash on them and kill the remainders <laughs> and our nice little game of 40k that we were having at the end of the table got demolished because uh somebody's uh super heavy got bored yeah that that was also the same game where i almost packed up early because uh i was do you remember the fortress of redemption the big yeah. uh yeah terrain piece i put basically half my army on it and it got obliterated yeah. and my half my army got obliterated uh, and the rest of my army were just big vehicles and i was like ah great yeah half my army died there and the land raider carrying the other half of my army terminators lasted like a turn more before that was blown up by some sort of reaver titan yeah it was a big learning for me that uh, if you're gonna play apocalypse play like a three or four person aside very organized game of apocalypse because when you do it's epically fun otherwise and limits the amount of super heavy on each team <laughs> it's true yeah uh, and the last memory is from a campaign weekend as well um we played a game mission which dave and i've discussed many times where they 
uh, forcibly recycled troops. So mm. troops that died were sent back on from the backboard edge to continue the fight. Unfortunately, my opponent wasn't really thinking about what was going on and kept bringing his troops' choices on to the back of the board next to Marnius Kalgar and his honor guard, uh, who were tooled to the max and just wrecked face on the unit, which then came back next turn and he just de- deployed the same pox. He couldn't be bothered to move them. Um, <laughs> and they just... Minus Calgar and his mates were just standing there doing nothing during my turn. Like bouncers to the, the board. Start. And then... Because no, there's no point shooting stuff because you wanted to charge it. They'd just stand there, wait for the guys to turn up and then beat them back up again. <laughs> it was more entertaining than it should have been. But I, I mean, I really love that army. And uh, it's being... As I said, it's, be- it's in the process of being repainted. I won't get rid of any of the stuff. I'm just going to slowly churn it out once, once they uh, become playable again. Sounds like a similar project to mine. So one of my projects for 2019 was to uh, paint up some bits for the Templars. Yes. Uh, so I have the land speeder and scouts to do. And it's, it's mm. just adding more bits to the army just to vary up the game so that you don't feel like you're playing the same army and it gets wrecked every single time. You can switch it up. I've got all sorts of things for my Templars. I was trying to get one of every single unit in the Codex into my army and I've only got sort of uh, three or four to go now, actually. So I've got the majority right so let's move on to our other topic which is talking about uh recording your hobby so this was a topic that i wanted to cover in a brief discussion because during my terrain project i realized that uh writing down everything that i was going to do was important because the reason i did the terrain part of the reason i did the terrain upgrade was when i did my pieces we talked about this before the rubble and textures and things on some of the basing tiles are all different because I didn't write down what I did the first time I did it. And that made me think that actually it's a really good topic to cover is how to record all the different bits surrounding the hobby so that you don't lose memories and understanding of what it is that you've, you've done before. Yeah, so you, you mentioned the first one, which is write it down. Mm. So uh, I noticed that when I go around yours, you often have dripper bottles full of different mixes and you've actually written on the side of the bottles what those mixes are it might be a two to one mix of i don't know water to isopropyl alcohol etc uh, and you've you've got them all written down so you know exactly what it's in there and if you need to make another bottle of it you know the exact ratio so it, it's very good for referencing back and uh knowing what's in specific containers on your hobby desk because yeah if if you're like me you make mixes and then you forget what's in them and then or if they dry out or you don't use them for a while and they start one of the elements starts to evaporate you need to make up a new uh, mix and even airbrush uh, thinning airbrush paints sometimes i forget how many drips to paint drips yeah i have in those bottles and occasionally when i've redone a bottle it's been a bit more runny or on the flip side, it might be a bit more stodgy than it was before and it doesn't come out quite correctly. So, yeah, writing it down on the bottles is is very important. I think it's good for consistency and it's it's actually really helped doing the hobby tips discussions on the, the podcast because I can't just say, chuck in a bit of this, that and the other. And if I've made up a big batch that I'm never going to get through at home, it doesn't really help talking about it i need to be a bit more precise and at the end of the day like this is the scientist in me comes through and i have to have it correctly recorded because i've learned when i don't definitely do screw it up when trying to make repeat mixes but it's not even just the mixes it's the paint schemes i um did a sort out hobby sort out i mentioned it a couple of months ago i found my towel half painted towel crisis battle suits that i've got what the bloody hell is the colors that i use for them i cannot remember and i'm looking at them and i'm like 
that could be this. Or it could be a colour that I had from before the current paint range that I used ages ago, and I don't remember because I didn't write it down. The exact problem I have with my towel. So I said I dusted them off and looked at them. I know the base is Rakarth Flesh. Can't remember the highlight. I think it's Screaming Skull. And then I've got sort of dust marks. I've got scuff marks. I've got bullet holes. I've got grime patterns on them. I can't remember what I did. The grime patterns are like dusty and I know they're orangey. So I've got a choice of two colours there. And then the the bullet holes, I know it looks like it's black inside, maybe Rhinox hide. So it does help if I... or I should say it would have helped if I'd written it down. Or if we were doing this at the time, I could have just listened back to one of the previous episodes and tell tell people how I did it. And that is actually one of the ways of uh, helping you to remember it, is if you post uh, work in progress updates. Yes. So our equivalent of work in progress updates is our hobby progress and uh, also Instagram as well. And you can see what, what you used and you can see the different stages you've gone through. And if I can't remember what base coat I've used, but then I've got a picture of the base coated, say, Marines that I've got, and I can go, oh, I started off with Rakar Flesh. I didn't start off with Rhinox Hide or something. I'm really impressed with the way some people, I mean, we're going to, yeah, so talking about social media and sharing work in progress, one, we do it on our local hobby group anyway. Two, as you mentioned, we do it for the show for Instagram. But I tell you what, I've seen so many people on Instagram that we follow who are really organised, and when they post... Uh, some of their models they'll then do like five stage photos and they've taken a, an in process photo of the stage so if they've done a base coat with a wash they've taken a photo of that and written base coat this color wash this color then they've done like first highlight second highlight third highlight or whatever and they've recorded it really accurately it's great because they can go back and look at that if they need to and either doing it on something like social media is great or if you just want to use your phone I've also taken... I used to keep a notebook, but my handwriting's abysmal and I can't read my own handwriting half the time. So now I just do notes documents on my phone for what the colour schemes are and it syncs with some form of server for my iCloud account or Google Docs or whatever and it means that I don't actually then lose that information. It's there whenever I need it. Yeah, and it's it's good to also document and... um it's good to reminisce about past armies that you've done as well. So it's good for adding history to the armies yep. and the sort of the background motivation that you had at the time. I like looking back through pictures of my work in progress of, say, my Black Templars, or uh, I've got some work in progress um, shots from my towel back in the day. Yeah. Um, as in my one of my very, very first armies back when I first had camera phones, and I found some pictures of them the other day. Oh, nice one. Yeah, they're awful. <laughs> well, it was your first army coming back into the hobby, mate. And I think it's good because recording it and sharing it, one, you get to watch your project actually grow and you actually progress somewhere with your project because sometimes it does not feel like you're progressing with projects. It really kills my motivation. Mm. Sometimes I feel like I'm just dragging my heels. But seeing me actually posting and making myself post stuff reminds me I'm actually getting somewhere. And it's easy to get input from other hobbyists because... They may give you tidbits of information on how you could do things better. And I think if you're not recording that and sharing it with everybody else, you're missing out on, a, on an opportunity to get some uh, valuable input. I mean, we mentioned already talking about our, uh, our favourite armies. We've talked about our favourite games. And I'm getting better at recording the games that we play. I mean, yes, we're doing it because we're talking, we would be talking about it on the, on the show. Um, but also, 
I've moved away from writing notes. Because do you remember when we first did bat reps, we used to write notes during the games? I mean, it, it stops the momentum of the game, actually, while you're recording those notes. Massively. It just drives me crazy. So now what I've done is, again, thank you, smartphones. I just take photographs constantly throughout the game. Of, of big moments, yeah. Yeah, because... Stuff, stuff to remember and to bring up in the in the podcast, actually, for us. Yeah, I mean, it's great to keep notes and, and little story elements from the games that have taken place. And I do really love looking back at remembering old games. But having the photographs without breaking the flow of the game, you can take those key moments on a photograph. And as long as you write your notes up, you know, within a reasonable amount of time or whatever, you're going to get to remember easily what, what took place. But, I mean, if you're not into using technology to do that they actually do battle journals from gw they're really nice little books i don't know if you can still get them for 40k they were out when eighth edition was released um and you see if but other companies do them anyway and they do like really nice leather bound books with like gothic theming on them and everything where you can just keep notes on what goes on in your games and it's good to keep i mean if you and i play each other quite a lot so like with the black templars versus orcs we actually played as a campaign but if not you could just keep a tally of what's happened in your games you know, I remember way back when, when I used to play with my orcs and goblins all the time in Warhammer Fantasy. So, small fantasy aside, they have goblin fanatics, which are the guys with the big chains and balls on chains. Yes. Their rules were busted as all hell back in multiple editions <laughs> ago, and they would just murderize things sometimes. And every time that I lucked out and just slaughtered something horrendous, I would, like, get bits of the model and put it on the bases. Nice. Um, so, that was another way of, like, yeah... I didn't have a smartphone, probably why. So it's a good way of remembering things that have taken place in games by like modeling them on. Uh, and I'm, st- I'm definitely still working on adding some um, story elements to my terrain from some of like the, the big games we've played. So at some point I'll have a burned out orc wagon from that Black Templar's grenade incident. Oh God, Jimmy, <laughs> how could you? But uh, I really want you to deface the inside of the cathedral with orc uh, <laughs> crap yep. and literally crap. Yep. Another good thing to record, actually, is uh, campaign progress. Yes. So uh, if we go into Kill Team quickly, you've got rosters. The whole concept of Kill Team is based on rosters, which you need to record. Uh, and when it comes to logs, your army lists, they are essentially logs of what goes into the army. And if you play campaigns or linked games or if you want to remember an army that you used to play you can go back into your battle scribe or other it's just basically battle scribe isn't it let's yeah. be honest <laughs> like they are the one yeah that they yeah and and you can go back and, and have a look at your past armies and know where to improve or what i like to do actually is when a new codex comes out or faq comes out they quite quickly update those those points totals and you can put the list side by side and compare how much more wiggle room you've got or less wiggle room if you had a busted army and it went up by <laughs> quite a lot of points as my harlequins did <laughs> yeah that's only fair yeah um yeah and i think that just to cap it all off like whatever way you choose to do it i think having some form of hobby log is a real positive whether it is that you want to share it with other people or just to keep yourself going in terms of you know motivation we've discussed in the past so i must get more organized with it certainly last but not least do you want to head into your hobby tips always Right, so what I wanted to talk about was posters. So, I was inspired by Peachy's video on Warhammer TV, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And now you've got a life-size poster of Peachy. Oh my gosh, I need to do a, pe- a poster of Peachy on my terrain somewhere, that would be epic. Right, that's that's one to work on for later. Nice one, Dave. <laughs> so, I was inspired by his, vid- <laughs> his 
video on adding posters to your terrain. So he used the example of a whole bunch of like motivational and propaganda posters that are taken from regimental standard, because obviously GW can only talk about GW's resources. But there are, if you just Google Warhammer 40k posters or propaganda posters, you will find a million different sheets of images that you can use. Most of them contain in Deathcore Krieg, actually. <laughs> There's quite a lot. Step one, go and watch Peachy's three-minute video on Warhammer TV. Right, once you've done that, as I hope you have, his advice... Was, was that a pregnant pause for people to go and watch it? <laughs> yes, thank you for ruining that moment. <laughs> um, his advice is... You know, again, centered around products that they sell. So he uses PVA glue to like put them on the terrain and, and hold them in place. But the important stuff that he talks about is one, the sizing, because you want them to be about the right size. So you've got to make sure you play around with your printer settings to get them to print out on the right scale. I actually just did a whole load of different scales on one sheet and then printed it so that if I wanted a big poster for one thing or a small one for another, I had a whole bunch of options. He also, big tip, once you've cut it out, um, scrunch it up. Because if you just stick a poster printout straight onto the wall, it looks way too clean to be a realistic poster. It looks like it's freshly printed and nothing yeah. in 40k should look fresh in no. my mind. Open to interpretation. Some people love that. I like, especially with terrain, it looks to look battered as all hell. So that's where I then stop following Peachy's advice because <gasps> I did follow his advice to the letter and several posters peeled straight off the wall because the PVA just wasn't gripping because he needs to use the pva because gw sell it exactly right and i think with the new terrain there's a lot more texture to it so maybe it sticks a little easier i used mod podge so mod podge is a product you can buy in small tubes in basically every craft store ever it's designed for decoupage decoupage i think you're, just, you pronounce you're, just, it. you're just making words i'm up not making now. words up it's french check it out micro podge what? No, wait, no, mod, mod podge, podge right, yeah. and decoupage is where you decoupage. decoupage is where you take something and you glue paper to it to make it look decorated. So people do it on the inside of drawers. You get cardboard animal shapes. Hobbycraft sell a whole load of them. Cardboard animal shapes that you rip up bits of tissue paper. Like making paper mache. Are you sure it's not just deco page and you're just doing some <laughs> pretty sure it's fancy French. Anyway, that product it's only like a pound or two for a small pot goes a long way and it bonds really really well to a lot of different surfaces in a way that pva doesn't quite manage it's like a pva glue with some sort of resin additive and something else don't lick your brush but it works really 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 well so you put like a thin layer of it down on the piece that you want put your bit of scrunched up paper on top paint a layer over the top and that basically soaks into the paper and it sandwiches it between two layers of what ends up looking like matte varnish and it does not come off your terrain after that perfect and then, for me, it still looks a little clean. Like, the edges of the paper look a little too clean, and it looks like it's just been... Even though it's scrunched up, it looks a bit too fresh, so I just go over with an Agrax Earthshade. Best best product ever. See, this is where you're wrong. So, if if, uh, if we throw it back a few years, what you would have done is you would have covered it in tea, you would have burnt the edges, and then put oh, it in the oven. Oh, my, those school and projects then, have and gone by. to your school project. Does school do still do that at schools? Uh, probably. Probably. But now so, you just use your deco page. If you have a spare tea bag around, yes, you can wipe a tea bag onto the print before you use it. That would be great because it will tint it that nice dirty brown. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for it to look like it's been stuck on a wall for a while. And some of the ones you find online are just fantastic. My favourite ones are like the Imperial Proclamation type ones where it's got like the... you Because it's very small, you can just about make out like 
the Imperial Eagle and like the sim the seals and stuff that are on there and like the red warning text where it's like either the Emperor's motivations or a whole list of things you shouldn't do and then I've got ones like the the Xenos are watching you <laughs> be careful what you say to everybody and the ones that are like join the guard there's loads of different great propaganda pictures up there because that kind of World War era Cold War era propaganda stuff really works well for the 40k setting yeah yeah it's it's war-torn cities yeah and i mean imp- and you can't beat a bit of uh, imperial paranoia when it comes <laughs> to uh keeping the population in line it's uh what was one of the regimental standards is how do you spot a, a cultist and one of the ones was does he have three arms <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit obvious when it gets to that point um so yeah Either print out the ones from the Regimental Standard, as, as Peter recommended, or Google a whole bunch of them. Get them. They're great. I mean, just slapping a few on some random terrain pieces really adds a little bit of extra flavour. You don't want loads of them because it will look over the top, but just splashing one or two here or there takes minutes, uh, minimal effort with a with a printer, and uh, it looks really great. Yep. So printer, mo- mod podge, wash, and then seal after scrunching it up. Yes. And if you are if you really want to save pennies, uh, print them at work. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I actually would prefer to print them at work purely because I printed them at work on a laser printer. So when you're putting things like the glues and the washes and stuff on, there's no worry about the ink running because it's, it's a laser printed product. Also cheaper. So, <laughs> handy tips. Brilliant. So that pretty much rounds up this week's episode. So as always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash floorhammer podcast. Our website, floorhammerpodcast.com, and our Instagram handle, at floorhammer underscore podcast. Cheers, guys, for listening. Speak to you next episode.